everybody, and welcome to Podcast 74 in our series, You Should Have Been There, with me, Mick Webb. And me, Simon Calder, fresh from studying the 99th set of online small print about what combination of tests, vaccinations and quarantine you need these days to travel abroad from the UK and to come back. Yes, today we're aiming to cut through the tangle of red tape surrounding travel and we have a very special guest from the travel industry aristocracy to help us julia loboe saeed who is the chief executive of advantage travel partnership the uk's largest group of independent travel agents welcome julia hello and um thank you for having me really looking forward to chatting today Yes, it's very good of you to make time to talk to us, uh, Julia. I imagine you've been extremely busy recently. Um, But I also just want to clear up what we mean by due diligence, Simon. And that's for my own benefit as much as that of any bewildered listeners. Because apart from being the French for a stagecoach, I thought that uh, due diligence was a legal term, something to do with contract law. Well, we're talking about the diligence that every traveller has to undertake. You're quite right. I mean, the the legal definition is an appraisal of a business undertaken by a prospective buyer to establish its assets and liabilities. Um, Now, it's always been the case legally that the traveller has had to ensure their paperwork is in order. But right now, I think um, Julia would probably agree, although um, she may not, that we're living at a time of labyrinthine travel restrictions. I've never seen anything like it. Um, And every potential destination is coming up with its own rules, and sometimes even with um, different parts of the same country, such as mainland Portugal and the island of Madeira. And of course, we've then got very rigorous rules coming back into the UK, all complicated by misunderstandings and in some cases, uh, particularly in parts of the press, anti-EU mischief. And so due diligence in 2021 is the traveller making sure that he or she knows the rules and complies with them, possibly, uh, Julia, with the help of a professional travel agent. Absolutely. I think never has the time been more certain of needing a travel agent, but but a human one, someone that you can genuinely pick the phone up to that's going to help you navigate through, as you say, this labyrinth of different rules and regulations um, that change constantly. Well, we'll start untangling those um, shortly. First, um, thank you so much to our lovely listeners for their responses to last week's podcast on Perfect Squares, those plazas and piazzas that distill and define so much of a city. Yes, Rebecca tweeted at you should have BT to say, glad to hear your guest likes the Praça do Comercio as much as I do. Uh, That, of course, is the uh, lovely square in Lisbon, or you can call it the old name of Terreiro do Passo, if that sounds more picturesque. Uh, I suppose it does, and uh, that really uh, refers to the Basu or palace that used to stand in the square before it was um, wrecked in the terrible 18th century earthquake that struck Lisbon. Meanwhile, Tracy Strong, who tweets as Welsh girl in Mexico, told us more about the confidential chairs that are popular on the plazas of Mexico's Yucatan. Merida or Valladolid have beautiful examples of these chairs. I've sat and chatted for hours in them. Well, I've actually sat in uh, one of those chairs in uh, Valladolid. uh, And indeed, it is a lovely square and a beautiful uh, little town, much underrated and not really visited by many people. It's actually got one of those cenotes, um, those 
uh, lovely fresh water uh, semi-underground pools that you can go and swim in virtually in the center of the town. Uh, these, these are wonderful things which um, a lot of people like to say are created by alien spaceships, but actually it's all to do with collapsing limestone. Julia, have you ever plunged into a, a Mexican cenote? I haven't, no, but um, I'm getting rather yeah, tempted by um, your explanation there. It sounds, it sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe when we can start travelling a bit easier, that could be first on my list. I think a cenote would be a good thing to put on your list. I really do. Uh, it's a, the water is so soft, it's just extraordinary. Um, and sometimes it's even not very cold, which is always better. Um, meanwhile, Tim Blazy looks east for his uh, favourite square, just listen to the latest You Should Have Been There about squares. Absolutely the nicest square I've been to was a complete surprise. A few nights in Poznan, Poland. Bars with restaurants all around. And a wonderful former government building dating from 1550. Well, I've never been to that, but I bet you have, Simon. Uh, I, I, I have a while ago, but all the Polish squares are great, I think. Um, Krakow I, is probably the, the finest. Uh, but uh, wherever you are, I'm just now dreaming of sitting outside uh, watching um, Polish life proceed past while sipping a very uh, delicious and good value um beer um <laughs> here we are uh, back in back in london the land of um well, more expensive beer jewels on holes says for london it's stretching the definition of a square a bit but how about uh, covent garden julia we need to call you in you're a londoner i believe to adjudicate covent garden square or not well, I am a Londoner, born and bred. I live in Hertfordshire now and have done for the past 25 years. But um, yeah, North London girl um, for, for for my sins or not. Um, so I did do a bit of research on this. So whilst Covent Garden is called Covent Garden, it's actually known as Covent Garden Piazza. So um, oh, absolutely, it is it is right. a square. So um, yes, I think um, your caller was absolutely right on that. Well, thanks, Jules. Thanks, Julia. In that case, maybe we should reassess the uh, uh, our opinion. I think it was shared that uh, uh, there aren't any decent squares in London because actually that one's quite good fun, isn't it? I think it is, and I and actually I would also challenge you because I was I went to college. It's not it doesn't exist anymore, but Leicester Square. Um, and again, as a Londoner, I um, I do love London. And, you know, in the good old normal days, it's an absolutely buzzing place to be. And Leicester Square, many memories of Leicester Square, fantastic place to be. Um, yeah. And just to sit by, you can sip a beer and, and watch the world go by and do a bit of people watching. So, um, yeah, I, I absolutely love London, love love our squares. And Leicester Square is my favourite. Lots of memories from Leicester Square. Wow. Uh, OK, that, that's that's a, a turn up. Um, it does beg the question, Julia, where was the University of Leicester Square or whatever it was, um, what happened to it and what were you studying? Okay, so it was the College of Distributive Trades. Um, ah. Sounds very posh, I know. Um, but it's now where the Capital Radio building is. So, um, yeah, so I did, tra- funny enough, travel and tourism uh, many, many years ago. Ah, and look where that got you. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> By the way, just before we uh, get off the subject of squares and onto the proper topic of today, which is due diligence uh, for the traveller, uh, I want to mention something that I completely failed to mention last week uh, when we were talking about squares. And this is rather stupid of me because it is actually uh, my favourite square. It's in Santiago de Compostela, 
uh, and it is uh, the main square. It's not actually right in the centre, which makes it even nicer. It's kind of on the edge of town and quite high up. So you do actually on a sunny day, uh, sadly, there aren't as many of them in uh, Santiago as uh, in western northwestern Spain as there as there could be um you get uh, very nice views of uh tree covered hills as well as the extraordinary four buildings that surround the 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 square um one of them of course is the cathedral which uh, is famous because it's the uh, it's the goal of the pilgrims who walk the camino de santiago and then on the other three sides, there are three other historic buildings, each one from a different century. So it's a bit like a kind of, um, I suppose, a kind of um, a very nice course in Spanish architecture. If you go and uh, stand in the middle of this huge paved square, virtually no traffic allowed in it. Um, uh, there are no trees, which is a bit of a disadvantage. But as Julia was saying, this is a perfect place for people watching. In fact, it's so good that I've just been having a look. I'll have another look now at the um, the webcam of the square. So you can look that up, uh, webcam Praça do Obradoiro. And uh, it's panning round the square. And I was hoping to see some pilgrims arriving because the Camino de Santiago is actually a uh, open for business, uh, possibly rather surprisingly. Um, but uh, I think it might be a bit early in the day for anyone to arrive. But there are some tourists uh, um, taking selfies. Uh, and uh, there are a couple of locals. Uh, I know they're locals because they're wearing masks very sensibly, I'd say. And uh, they've just uh, they've just waved to one another, probably said adios or adeus, uh, and then gone off in their separate ways. Uh, and there is... Uh, there's a chap wheeling a kind of cart-like thing, which is absolutely filled with, I can't quite see what they are, but I think they might be baguettes. So they're probably destined for the kitchen of the uh, rather posh hotel, the Hostal de los Reyes Católicos, where I once spent a night, and very nice and historic it was as well. Oh, wow. The uh, long and winding road to Santiago de Compostela seems uh, really a million miles away after the extraordinary week uh, that, that we have just seen. As a reminder, the Balearic Islands of Mallorca, Ibiza and Menorca now on the UK's quarantine-free green list, along incidentally with Madeira and Malta. But that's only one part of the puzzle, of course. Each country puts its own rules in place. And this week they've been doing so with a vengeance. So, Julia, very simply, can you enlighten our listener? please, about how a British traveller gets into Spain. Absolutely. So after yeah, an extraordinary week. So in terms of entering Spain, obviously, those rules are set by the Spanish authorities and apply similarly to the mainland Spain, Canaries and the Balearic Islands. You will need to provide evidence of a negative PCR test, not an antigen test, a PCR test or proof that you've been fully vaccinated. Importantly there, your last dose must have been at least 14 days before you arrived. So, you know, lots of over 18s that have started being, you know, getting their first vaccinations now, unfortunately, doesn't apply to them. You will have to have had your second dose and at least 14 days before you arrive um, into Spain. The NHS app can be used as proof of vaccination. Um, and where it gets very complicated, a bit a bit simpler for, for Spain, um, is children. So for, for Spain, the authorities exempt children under 12 years old from needing a negative PCR test 
when they're traveling with an adult. Um, as with everywhere we travel with nowadays, you must also complete the Spanish travel health form online. And uh, just a reminder that coming back into the UK from mainland Spain and the Canaries, but not the Balearics, it's an amber list country. So therefore, you've got to have a test before you uh, board the plane. And that can be pretty much any flavor as long as the uh, certificates in English, French or Spanish. Um, by the way, I think, Julia, you could also use a so-called lamp test for going out to uh, Spain, which would be a little bit cheaper and quicker. Um, and then coming back to the UK, yep, your PCR tests booked for um, up to day two and from day eight of your stay. Um, and it, it, there is just a ludicrous amount of confusion out there. Um, Mick, have you been following this? Uh, no, uh, Simon, I'm uh, and Julia, I'm firmly in the camp of those who've decided they will uh, uh, stay in uh, this country this year and um, rather hope that uh, things improve next year. Uh, I'm going to East Sussex, which is very nice in September. And uh, other than that, I'm going to um, uh, hang around in London. Julia, is that a common view among Advantage customers that uh, it is all just too exhaustingly complicated? And so let's just let's just put all that on hold and we'll, we'll come back next year. Yeah, I, th I think the reality is, you know, we have such a complex system and, you know, the unfortunately, you know, not just the UK government, but governments, you know, that, that we've certainly seen this week are causing so much confusion, changing policies that it's just creating a lot of anxiety. Um, it is worth remembering, however, that many people have to travel. Many people, you know, are desperate to see families and friends. So um, a lot of people will, you know, will kind of come out of their comfort zone to do, you know, whatever they can to travel. And it's really important that we give them a way to facilitate that in a in a manner that really helps them and, and gives them the confidence to be able to do that safely and making sure they've got all the right documentation. But no, it's incredibly, incredibly complicated. It really is. I suppose... Um from the point of view of uh, foreign governments, other governments, it is quite complicated, uh, uh, even the prospect of allowing uh, us Brits into their country, uh, because it is still not really known, as far as I understand, although I might well have missed this, um, whether or not being doubly vaccinated actually means you cannot be an asymptomatic carrier of uh, the latest variant. Uh, and this seems possibly to have been what's um, done for Portugal, which um, pluckily invited us all in and uh, now has uh, regretted that and um, got rid of us all again. I, I, am I being um, naive here? I, well, I don't. I don't think you are at all, and I, I think a lot of those um, sentiments you've expressed are, are probably a lot of sentiments that, as consumers, that you know we we all think, you know, we all read and, and you know and have seen various different reports on. I think there are a number of things. I think the reality is, you know, and again, I'm not a medic, so I can only I can only express a personal view on this from from that perspective. Um, there is a point at which I believe, in my humble opinion, you know, we we've got to just open up. We've got to we've got to be able to um, take some benefit from the vaccine deployment. You know, we know as with all these things that it's not a hundred percent, but you know, the efficacy um, and the you know the reports from a lot of medics that we're getting now is actually um, you know the efficacy is is incredibly high in terms of you know in terms of transmissibility, etc. So I think there is a point at which we need to open up. I think the reality also is that we are seeing across Europe, you know, the US. I speak to colleagues in the US, 
And they're, they're, they're back to 2019, their numbers. They're traveling like they were. Um, and it's extraordinary. I mean, I, I sometimes feel that I'm on a completely different planet when I listen to them and their tra- and then how they are traveling, whether that's for business or pleasure. Um, it, it feels like it's a million miles away from where we are. So, you know, the, the reality is, you know, those, those nations, uh, there are nations that are allowing their, their citizens who are double vaccinated to be able to travel um, safely. Um, we're not seeing increasing cases from these. Um, but I think, I, yeah, I, I think there is a point at which we just really need to open up. And, and actually, right through the, the entire ecosystem, there is a huge amount of increase in hygiene protocols generally anyway. Um, so we're, we're not talking about traveling without testing, without, you know, without any mitigation measures. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I say I, I think we need to open up and we, we need to be opening up pretty quickly. Well, the UK has always been an outlier in terms of its policies. In March last year, just as every country in the world was imposing quarantine on particularly high risk locations, the UK government uh, removed all quarantine. Um, Two months later, just as the rest of the world was opening up, it promptly imposed a blanket uh, restriction. And for the last five months, uh, I know for a certainty, a number of European countries have said, uh, Mick, you've been vaccinated twice. Um, uh, do come in. You can swerve all the testing and uh, quarantine rules um, because we know that you present less of a risk. And of course, there's no absolute certainty about this, but it's a question of protecting public health for each country and the national wealth, and they will welcome you in. And it's uh, this weekend um, papers, for instance, if you read those, you'd think that the whole idea of, oh, we've got a jab, maybe that means that um, uh, you, you should be able to travel more easily to and from the UK. Well, the destination countries all accept that, and it looks as though that may eventually be unlocked as well. Um, Julia, from what you've said throughout the pandemic, I'm going to infer that you're not the greatest uh, fan of the rules that the government has imposed and then on many, many occasions changed. Um, I'm absolutely a fan of you know, public health, clearly, you know, the travel industry is all about, you know, ensuring that we have the most robust health and safety measures. And that's paramount. And that's always going to be the case. And, you know, I, I don't, you know, for, for one second, want to be in the government's position in terms of trying to make these difficult decisions when it comes to public health. So we expect there needs to be sacrifice, we expect there needs to be measures to keep us all safe. However, um, what isn't, you know, ideal and what isn't great is the, you know, lack of engagement that the government, frankly, has had with industry. You know, we consulted very, very widely um, with the Global Travel Task Force in, in making sure that we could help facilitate um, a framework that would enable travel to start restart safely. Um, and unfortunately, the minute that was implemented, you know, that, that seems like a lifetime ago now, but, you know, a little under two months ago, it was implemented and the government, you know, changed the rules um, in terms of how it was. It, it wasn't implemented in the way that it was intended with Portugal coming off after 10 days. That's when Portugal was on the green list. So I think there have been a number of factors all the way through this where um, mes- messaging from the government, you know, don't holiday, shouldn't holiday, you know, can't take a holiday. Um, really do not help. And fundamentally, you know, consumers are anxious, you know, and and I, I also think I've had friends and family who say, well, actually, I've got a holiday booked, but 
I feel bad. I'm actually embarrassed that I have a holiday booked because that's how I'm made to feel. And that's just not right. So I think, you know, the government really haven't helped. Um, and they, they really haven't helped in terms of their constantly changing policies um, and mixed messages around, you know, various ministers when, when they do talk about, you know, how, how travel is demonised. Um, but not not even being cognizant of the fact that, you know, one, the economics, the benefit that the travel industry delivers, but also the fact that we have families split all over the world, as I said before, that, are, you know, haven't seen, you know, haven't seen each other for two years. I mean, that just feels so inhumane. It really does. And just a reminder, in case any listeners need it, of that uh, the UK government currently has rules on people coming back into the UK. Every country is divided into a red, a green or an amber list. Uh, the red list is the one you really don't want to be on. That's mandatory hotel quarantine. Uh, cost you £1,750 for a solo traveller. Green, uh, which is um, covering a tiny proportion of the world's surface, uh, now including the Balearic Islands and Madeira and Malta, as well as good old Gibraltar and Iceland. No quarantine, but a couple of tests when you come back. And amber, everyone else, um, that's uh, 10 days of self-isolation, a couple of tests on arrival, one before departure. And then if you're in England, you can test to release with yet another test on day five. Uh, have you ever known um, travel rules like this for any part of the world, Julia? Oh, it's just so complicated. You just reminded me then when you said England, obviously we have the added complication that our own governments across the UK don't even kind of coordinate. So, um, really, really complex rules. And, and obviously, the traffic light systems are all about return back to the UK. Um, and clearly, there are separate rules for every other country. Um, so you have to be very conscious of where you're traveling to, the rules there, but also what you need on the way back. So a, a very unaligned process. Um, but I think there is there, there are some rosy times. I think we have to be optimistic. I think the, the noises that we're hearing from government and, again, following the meeting on, on Friday with, with um, Angela Merkel around allowing Brits to travel who have been fully vaccinated. I think if you park the moral dilemma and what that means for teenagers and, and young adults that haven't been fully vaccinated. But I think for the, for the travel industry, it certainly starts to open up a market um, and, and rightly so, when, as we talked about before, you know, the rest of the world slowly but surely are starting to um, open up to double vaccinated. But, but I think the one, one thing that we really do need is we need the government not to demonise anyone that's looking to travel and, and really facilitate and, and enable, enable Brits to travel and travel safely, um, but not to, feel, not to feel that they shouldn't be. And what do we do, Julia, and I'm interested in your views as well, Mick, about the fairness of older vaccinated people being able to travel without restriction, while the young people who have already made huge sacrifices are um, still standing in line waiting for their jab? I think it's so difficult, isn't it? I, I, I think there's it's so difficult you know, in terms of right or wrong, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in that position. I've got a holiday book for for the summer, and I've got a young adult and a and a child. So we're going to be in that position. So it's it's a really difficult one. I'm I'm not sure I've got the right answer. Um, but at the end of the day, we we know that the vaccine is the route out of it. And for the time being, um, if you are double vaccinated, it's likely that travel will be more open to you than than if you're not. Where are you actually traveling? I'm hoping, well, I'm, I will be going. I'm, I've got a holiday to Sardinia, a postponed holiday from last year. So 10 days on the beautiful Sardinian island. 
Oh, how lovely. Where, where, whereabouts are you hoping to go? I, I don't want to tempt fate here. But. <laughs> <laughs> we're, uh, we're booked in Costa Smeralda. Um, so, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, hot, yeah. So still trying to navigate through hotels that have changed twice now because, you know, they're not opening because of the, you know, unfortunately restrictions and, and the, the issues there in terms of being able to reopen because tourists clearly haven't been traveling um, and flights that keep changing. So I'm keeping everything crossed that um, we will go green and uh, we will be able to travel, you know, to where I'm hoping we, we can get to this year. Number of data analysts say that actually Sardinia and Sicily, if you look at the numbers, uh, should certainly be on the green list, along with a sprinkling of Greek islands as well. So I hope that that will that will uh, work out for you. Um, the next change in the rules is on the 15th of July, uh, coming into effect probably a week after that. Okay. Oh, and that's when you think more more, more islands, islands will be allowed. It seems to be that um, we're keener on islands. I suppose they are um, more manageable, aren't they? Certainly politicians are keener on them because um, if you fly direct to an island such as Madeira, uh, you're unlikely to be um, interacting with people from Porto on the Portuguese mainland, although maybe they're going on their own holiday too, so you could be. Um, and, and so direct flights to individual islands have been, um, uh, uh, have been looked upon as, as relatively safe. Mick, I'm fully aware that I think in the 1980s, you spent a lot of time traveling around South America, um, going to all kinds of um, tricky places at a time when there were vast amounts of complication. Are you kind of getting echo of echoes of that time in terms of just getting visas and permissions and jabs and everything to get across borders in Latin America? I, I suppose that is the case. I mean, as I say, I haven't really made uh, any attempt to um, <laughs> to engage with it this time. Um, but uh, I, um, I don't really mind too much. I actually think that it's part of the fun of travel. I, I know it wouldn't be that much fun to be uh, stranded in a quarantine hotel um, uh, when you really didn't want to be there and had something else you needed to be doing back in the UK. Um, but, uh, but, you know, uh, I, yes, I remember, for example, having all sorts of uh, trouble getting into Argentina uh, in the mid-1980s. Uh, I even think I might have had to have had a letter from my mum. I can't quite remember. It was so bizarre. And I was very impressed by the fact that um, the uh, journalist who I was traveling with um, uh, had a, uh, a, a UK uh, passport and an Irish one as well. Uh, and of course, when we got to the, uh, when we got to the uh, uh, immigration at uh, Buenos Aires Airport, uh, he just um, he just pulled this green passport out <laughs> out of his bag and was waved straight through. And about two hours later, I was able to join him after um, much discussion and debate about whether I should be allowed in. This was, of course, post um, Malvinas Falklands and all of that. But um, yeah, I kind of think it's um, sort of part of the fun of travelling. I, I uh, maybe I'm just mad. Oh, well, I, uh, there's a positive spin. Make it part of the journey. Do you think, uh, Julia, your 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 um, Advantage Travel Partnership members will will buy that, and their customers will they be able to say it's great? It's a yeah, you know, we're we're 
introducing you to a whole new dimension of travel. I don't think so. I've just had an image of um, all our sort of agents turning up with to the, giving their customers letters from their mums, allowing them to travel and... No, I, 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 I don't think so. I think, I think right now it's, um, it's absolutely not what they, not what any of them would want. And, but I think, I think Mick makes a point there that you know travel, as we know, will be different for for the foreseeable future. Um, but it doesn't mean it can't be a good experience. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be confident about it, so long as we get, you know, the political will from the politicians, the government to ensure that they deliver the framework that it gives confidence, that enables confidence. Um, and that customers do think about how they book, who they book with, um, and make sure that they're protected and, and you know, have access to, you know, great products and, and great experiences, which we all so look forward to. Well, Julia Lobuisaid, Chief Executive of Advantage Travel Partnership, thank you so much for joining us today. You can follow Julia on Twitter at, at JLo underscore Saeed. And of course, you can find us at, at You Should Have BT. And uh, you can uh, leave a message as well, an audio message. Not many people do, but really it's a very worthwhile experience at uh, anchor.fm slash you should have been there. Uh, Let me add my thanks to Simon's, Julia, um, and then say that next week we're we're using um, the 50th birthday of the Victoria Line yes, London's light blue one, to talk about underground railway systems of the world. Honestly, they're more interesting than you might think. In fact, some of them are actually works of art. Look, uh, for now, thanks so much for listening. See you next time from me, Simon Calder. And uh, me, Mick Webb. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.